Brilliant. So if you turn to page 605, that's Isaiah 45. Page 605. Starting at verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open, that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to, sim say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and the one who formed him, ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their host. I have stirred him up in righteousness, and I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free, not for price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord, the wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over to you and be yours. They shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. They will plead with you, saying, surely God is in you and there is no other, no God besides him. Truly, you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Saviour. All of them are put to shame and confounded. The makers of idols go in confusion together. But Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation. You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Anna, thanks very much for reading the passage for us. Well, this is a question we're going to think about this lunchtime. Have we put 
God in a box? Have we put God in a box? Have we boxed up who he is? Have we imposed our expectations on him? I think about culture, you know, corporate culture, or the culture of society, it's the air we breathe. Uh, we are informed by our worldviews growing up, how things should be, how we should think, the expectations of how things are. And what do we do? Uh, we take those expectations and we place them onto God. Uh, maybe you are English today and you say, oh, you expect God to be quite polite, someone who's tolerant, who is non-offensive or not too direct. And of course, here there are many cultures here, people from different countries, different upbringings. And so let me ask, how much of your own culture or your own expectations have you imposed on God? Have we put God in a box? I'm conscious that in a public meeting, uh, there may be some of you here who are in the process of seeking God. Uh, you still are trying to make up your mind. And it's worth asking this question. Now, what is your view of God? Where did you get it from? My sense is large parts of society, and um, I guess people in your office as well, lots of them have rejected God because of a packaged view of, of God that they have. A view that's packaged or popularized by atheists or secularists, uh, describing God as someone who is petulant or erratic or moody. And of course, you don't want a God like that. But it's worth asking the question, is that right? Is that right? Maybe some of us here, we kind of box up how God should help us. Uh, maybe you have gone to God in prayer before and approached him for help with a question or a problem or an issue that you might be facing. And even when we know what is right, or even when we, you know, we get a sense of what he's saying, we don't like it. Uh, we want him to do what we, we want. And so have we put God in a box? Well, today we are not going to get a full understanding of God. It's a bit too, too lofty in ambition. But we aim for a really small step, a really small step. At the start of this year, maybe a bit of recalibration of who we understand God to be. And it's worth asking ourselves, do we have the right view of him? And maybe if we get it right, it may just transform everything. Well, we are back in our series in Isaiah. And if you just joined us, you're very welcome. And we've been going through Isaiah chapters 40 to 48. And we're coming towards the tail end. We've got four more weeks in Isaiah. And in one sense, we are reaching what we've seen as a, as a climax in this section of Isaiah. Let me try to refresh our memories. Um, if you're not really familiar with Isaiah, who's Isaiah? He's a prophet uh, speaking to ancient Israel, 700 BC, uh, many years ago, speaking to a nation of Israel. But the thing to know about Israel was that they were facing a threat, national threat. Uh, they were facing exile uh, in the distance, the big superpower of the day uh, back in the ancient times, uh, Babylon, uh, Babylon, yes, Babylon and the big Babylonian superpower. They were coming down. They were ready to conquer Israel and to take the nation off to exile. And so Israel, they needed help. Uh, they needed help from the Lord. And what does Isaiah do? He's a prophet. He goes to Israel and says, yes, help is coming. Help is coming. God will save you. But here's the real problem. See, the problem is not so much whether God will save them. The real issue 
is that Israel had too small a view of God. They've shrunk him down, they've packaged him, and that was their real problem. They have put God in a box. The next week, uh, we come to the verdict. There's been a court case in this section of Isaiah. We come to the verdict. But this week, uh, we will see the big thing that God is saying to us today, which is this, you cannot put God in a box. Uh, we cannot put him in a box. I look at chapter five, sorry, verse five, 5a. Here's what the Lord says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Verse 6b, I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light, create darkness, I make well-being and create cal calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. You cannot put God in a box. I'll flip to chapters 45 and I'll look at verse 48, chapter 44, verse 8. Uh, verse 28, sorry, 44, verse 28. A God who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundations shall be laid. Well, you might be wondering what's going on in those verses over there. Uh, remember the situation um, that Israel was facing. They are facing the threat of exile. What's happening here? Uh, in those verses there, God, he's promising someone specific to rescue the nation of Israel. What's his name? I saw his name there. His name was Cyrus. Cyrus is the one who will rebuild Jerusalem. But he's not only promising that Cyrus will rescue them. And notice how God really enables Cyrus. It's a really intimate process of helping him. I look at 45, verse 1, chapter 45, verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue the nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open the doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness, the hordes and secret places, that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. I you see the point that God is saying he helps Cyrus intimately to conquer the nations. It's Cyrus who will rescue Israel. And this point is not really new. Uh, if you've been with us in the series, um, one of the big points to know about who God is, is that he's someone who knows and predicts the future. But here is something really specific. He predicts the name of the person who will rescue Israel. Uh, the rescue actually happens a thousand, sorry, 150 years after. So imagine uh, we're in the year 2023, that's 23, and 150 years before, imagine, imagine in 1870, someone predicts that the man to lead Great Britain back to its former glories, Rishi Sunak, um, uh, in 1870, imagine someone predicting his name. And that's kind of what is happening here predicting the person, his name, of the person who will rescue Israel. And it's a point worth making, if you've not noticed before, that what we're reading here well, is actual history. It is actual history. 
Isaiah's prophecy was dated 700 BC, and 150 years later, a king whose name was Cyrus did rescue Israel. He liberated the Jews back to Jerusalem. If you go to the British Museum, uh, which is actually quite handy for us working here in Common Gardens, not too far away, uh, you can see the artifact called the Cyrus Cylinder. And there on the cylinder, you can read about the conquest that Cyrus has been through. Now he's a real person. This is actual history. But the biggest shock, it's not so much that God knows the specific name of Cyrus. The biggest shock is who Cyrus is. I look at verse four in our, in our, in our passage. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. Do you notice what God is saying? Who is Cyrus? He is not an Israelite. He's not a Jew. He's a pagan king. In the history book, Cyrus, he is Cyrus the Great, the great not Israelite king, but Persian king. Uh, the, per the pagan king who freed the Jewish exiles. And what does God call him? He calls him my shepherd, my anointed, my Messiah. Cyrus, the Persian, is Israel's savior. I mean, it's quite hard for us to, to feel the force of what's being said. Uh, but imagine in 1870, the great savior of Great Britain is not uh, Rishi Sunak, but Xi Jinping. God himself will strengthen Chairman Z to save us. The Chinese being the saviors of Great Britain. I mean, some might already think that, but for others hearing it, it sounds really grating. It sounds really grating. And that's a little bit of how the Jews would have felt. Cyrus, someone who is not a Jew, saving us, called our savior. And here's the point. See, Israel, they have, may have recognized God as their God, but they have shrunk him down. They have thought of God as a local God. He's God of Israel, but not God of all the earth. They have localized him, made him small, and put him in a box. Uh, they forgot that God is not only the God of Israel, but God of all the earth. And Israel, they, they want saving. They need help. Remember, they are facing the threat of exile. But when God promises salvation through a pagan king, they, they balk or they scoff. They want saving on their own terms. They have put him in a box. And that's the question for us this lunchtime, uh, many years from now, from then. Do we want saving on our own terms and condition? Do we say to God, please help me? By the way, this is how I want you to do it. No, God, he is not small. Uh, he is not God of the West. He is God of all the world, the whole earth. God is not a local deity. He is God of all the earth. And so we cannot put him in a box. Verse 5, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I mean, it's quite a big point, but I think Isaiah, he pushes the point even more. And the reason why he can do so is because he has absolute control over everything, even good and bad. Look at verse 7. I form light and create darkness. I made well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all 
these things. You see what Isaiah is saying? God, he is sovereign over good and bad, light and darkness, well-being and calamity. A calamity here maybe specifically refers to Cyrus the Great, the great destruction that he will cause across the Middle East as he conquers a huge area. But the general point is still true. God, he's not only in control of good, but also of bad. Well, it's a really complex point. If you think about it, it may raise lots of questions and you can, you can ask me after this. But it's an astounding claim. Think about it. Good and bad. God is in total control. So when calamity happens, was well, not because God has been caught out by surprise. It's not because God has lost control of the situation. It is not because there is another God on the run causing issues to God's plan. No, God is in total control, both in good and bad, light and darkness, well-being and calamity. And the outcome, or the outcome of his control, is always good. Look at verse 8. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open, the salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. His control over good and bad results in righteousness and fruit all around the world. And so here's the question. Have we put God in a box? Have we told him how he should act, how he should save, what he should be, or what he should do to rescue us? Have we put him in? Have we closed the lid and keep him shut? Have we put God in a box? Do we presume to know better than him? Do we think that he's a local God? Do we think that he, we get to decide how he would save? Do we think that we know better than him? But there's much more to say about who God is. But before we get there, it's worth asking ourselves, have we put God in a box? And so at the start of New Year, it's a worthwhile question to be thinking about. You see, Israel, they had their culture around them, informing them how to think. Uh, back in the ancient times, uh, people thought of gods as local deities. Like you have God of the Persians, God of the Babylonians, God of the Egyptians, and you have Israel's God. And so they thought of God in the same way that the culture did, that he is a local deity. The God is God of Israel, but not God of the whole world. And for us as well, uh, we are in the culture today, 21st century London. We breathe the air of the culture, and it will affect the way we think. So should we assume that the culture we're in has the world all figured out? Should we assume that the masses determine what's right and wrong? Should creature educate the creator? No, but he is the uncreated creator. We cannot, we cannot put him in a box. Well, I wonder what you make, what Isaiah is saying. is quite heavy uh, things to hear uh, on a Thursday lunchtime. It might be hard to stomach, or you might acknowledge to be true. Well, in the second half of the passage, Isaiah, he, he puts two opposing responses of a way to react to what he's saying about God. And the first response that Israel could give is to stand their ground and to scoff. Look at verse 9. Woe to him! who strives with him, who formed him, a pot among even pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. 
can imagine uh, if you've gone for pottery class and there you're making your pot and after you're finishing your pot and you're just about to put it aside, the pot says, Oi, what are you making? Where are my handles? What will you say? Pot, what are you doing? Shut up. <laughs> I mean, it's totally ridiculous uh, what's happening here. But wait, it gets more comical. Look at verse 10. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Phil has very kindly um, allowed me to share that him and uh, Jemima is expecting in a couple of weeks' time. So he may just get a call right now. Imagine he gets a call. Uh, Jemima's heading off uh, to hospital. And being a very good friend, I followed them to the hospital. And then when I get there, I say to Phil, Phil, what are you begetting? And as the baby comes out, I say to Jemima, Jemima, with what are you in labor? I mean, that is preposterous. It is rude. It is highly inappropriate. And that's exactly how Israel was questioning God. Now, why would you rescue us this way? What do you respond? Rude. It is just a downright rude. Verse 11, God says, will you command me? Will you command me? Our first response is to stand our ground and to scoff. And there's something highly inappropriate about that. There's something highly perverse about questioning the creator who created you. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with asking questions or um, having doubts. Asking questions is fine. But the issue here is the attitude. Uh, it's the disposition behind the questions. It is demanding, commanding, thinking I know better than God. Thinking that God should fit my box. And it's not only highly inappropriate, but also deserving of judgment. Uh, verse 9, Isaiah says, woe. Verse 10, he says, woe. There's something perverse about creature questioning the creator. But here's the second response. If we don't stand our ground and scoff, we can stand in awe of what he is doing. Look at verse 5. Sorry, verse 15. Truly, you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. All of them are put to shame and confounded. The makers of idols go in confusion together. But Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation. You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. You see, these are words of Isaiah, perhaps, or the Israelites who have recognized God's ways. A God, he's truly a God who hides himself. Hiding here, I don't suppose, is uh, what, what he means. I don't think he is sort of preventing people from knowing him. But I guess hiding in a sort of surprising, unexpected sort of way. Uh, to save Israel with a pagan king, uh, that's highly unexpected. And so Israel, they're meant to stand in awe as God reveals his plans to them. Uh, this language of being hidden is really interesting. gets picked up in later parts of Isaiah, flip to Isaiah chapter 49, verse 2. 49, verse 2, um, is, this is a, a servant uh, who speaks um, in a hidden sort of way. Verse 2, 49, he made my mouth like a sharp, sharp sword. In the shadow of my hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And the one who's speaking in these verses is a new servant. A servant who would do what God commanded. His hidden way, he's a mystery who will be revealed. 
And if you know how the rest of the Bible story plays out, uh, you know that this servant uh, is God himself coming in the person of Jesus uh, to serve and save his people. And that is the greatest surprise. The God of all the universe, the Lord of creation, of which there's no, like, there's no other like him, he allows his creatures to crucify him into a Roman cross. And that crucifixion, crucifixion well, it becomes the salvation for the whole world. And that's not surprising. It should cause you to pause and to ponder and to stand in awe. And so that's the big thing uh, for our lunchtime today, to remember that we cannot put God in a box. He is bigger. He is far bigger than what, he, what we think he should be. And what we really need is revelation. We need him to reveal himself to us. So as you head back to your office this lunchtime, so we've asked the question, are there ways you put him in a box? Or do you stand your ground to scoff at him? Or do you stand your ground in awe of him? Why don't I pray all time? Father, we give you praise that you are the Lord and there is no other like you. And we do pray that you help us to have a right view of who you are. Please, we help that to impact the way we view you and those around us and help us as we head back to our offices to think about these things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.